Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm back in a wet London after a week in Toronto with the kids. Now on today's pod, it's a two-parter, which features an interview for Mishmael Bayer. Now, the audio quality is not great, but I thought it was absolutely essential to include it because it deals with the powerful healing quality of music and its lyrics and demonstrates the power and the appeal of one Robert Nesta Marley. Cheer on the athletes on the Olympic big screen. Walk through the 12 cultural exhibitions. Eat all day at the food festival. Sit in the real Jamaican garden. Use the kids' zone and crash. Dance, concerts and socials. Look out for red tag evening events. Stratford London comes alive July 27 to August 12. Visit festivaljamaica2012.com this is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican patois. And a fair start, a Samba pound. Usain Bolt is also out well. Here they come down the track. Usain Bolt! It's a story of music, sport and style. How its rhythms, athletes and language went global. Pull up, pull up! This is how Jamaica conquered the world. My name is Paul Kelly and I'm the operations manager at the Bob Marley Museum which is at 56 Hope Road in Kingston, Jamaica. Bob Marley was born in 1945. He was born in a place named Nine Miles, Jamaica. He grew there till between the ages of 9 and 12 years old. His mother is Sidella Malcolm, and his father was like an overseer, an Englishman named Narval Marley, a, a, a white English. He was much older than her. His cousins and uncles were farmers, so he used to do a lot of planting, he used to have a donkey that he used to ride. Because Nine Mile Center is a, is a rural district, what they call it Jamaica country. When he moved permanently to Kingston in a place called Trenchtown. He was living on 2nd Street in Trenchtown. His mother, Miss Booker, by that time she was involved with a man named Mr. Todd, who was Bonnie Whalers, Bonnie Livingston's father. He and Bonnie Livingston were living in Bonnie Whalers, that is, they were living in the same house. During those times, a lot of American music was very popular in Jamaica. Just naturally, Bob just loved me. He had a lot of musicians there who used to rehearse in the yards down there. Being around other musicians, so he started to rehearse, he started to play music, he started to sing music, he started to write his own music. Desmond Decker, who was a big um, musician at that time, who came to a studio to record his first music at that when he was around 15 years old. You know, then he got involved with Bonnie Wheeler's stars, was also, also used to love me because they grew like brothers. And then Peter Tush used to live further up the road. He was a musician, he could play the guitar, so he started to group up with them to the farmer group named the Whalers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the first hit song, a song named Simmer Down, from that they just had hit after hit, but they were only popular in Jamaica during those times. Simmer Down was 64, and they had one love the first time they did it was around 65. Rude boys, I'm still waiting, I'm gonna put it on. I do that song, that was a hit in Jamaica, so that was around 65. I'm gonna put it on, and they had a song they Cry to Me. Those are some hits back in those days. Now, Bob and Bunny and Peter, they used to sing with a recording company in the studio one. They used to walk from where they lived down at First Street and walk it to Cox's studio. They had to pass where Rita lived in order to get there. So she used to see them and she used to love singing. So they used to communicate about songs and singing and, you know, by walking past our house daily, they got to know each other. So by relationship just developed naturally after that. Well, during the early 60s, Rasta is an inborn thing. So he was Rasta, but he didn't start to express it. It was in the late 60s that he started to live and preach Rastafari philosophy. And it's in the 70s now he started to sing most of the songs of Rastafari. Because Trenchstone was a ear that had a lot of Rastafari. So Bob Marley was exposed to a lot of that. The group went on to around 1974. Around 1971, after they got involved with um, Chris Blackwell from Island Records, they started to adapt. And the Rastafari faith is a spiritual faith that they really seek a lot of materials and they seek the love of jazz and spiritual living. So some of the members of the Whalers didn't want to tour too much. Uh, they didn't like the places that they were touring in clubs and it started to cause a split in the group. And some of them, Bon, Bonnie and Pete and Juno, they, they kind of drifted from Bob in that year. Country, the philosophy which owed one race superior and another. Why was Chris Blackwell important to Bob Marley? He had a recording company, Island Records, and he gave Bob Marley the money to promote the album Catch a Fire with the Whalers. And even after the Whalers left, he used to promote and produce and um, find shows for him. So he promoted him and made him recognizable to the world. But I don't think he was really responsible for Bob Marley's sound, because Bob Marley was an established musician long before he met Chris Blackwell. Bob Marley was singing for maybe 10, 11 or 12 years, producing hit songs before he, he met Chris Blackwell. So he was responsible for making Bob Marley to the international stage. That is what I would say would, would be his claim to fame in the Bob Marley story.
When they started to deal with Chris Blackwell first, they had an album named Catcher Fire with Bunny and Pete and all of them on there. That is when they started to get international fame. And Bob then started to sing with the iTunes. That is when it really took off as a huge international act. That is when the world began to know Bob Marley and the world. June 70s, Jamaica was going through stages in our young nation, but politicians were in a struggle for rulership cause factions in Jamaica to be fighting against each other. You had to take sides. And they went into the inner city in order to get their thugs and their enforcers to carry out their, what we call their dirty works for them and called warring factions to be killing each other and Bob Marley was against it. They eventually, because of Bob and so they had warring factions and a peace and truce, they decided that they had enough of the political killing and they wanted to keep a concert to establish the peace. And Bob, they invited Bob Marley was to be head to headline the concert. And while at that peace concert, they invited up the politicians, the head of the government, I think he was Michael Manley at the time, and the leader of the opposition, Edward Seaga. So he called him up on stage as a symbolic gesture to shake hands and show the people that the war is over and there's now peace they're dealing with. at the height of his career when he got killed as the will of the universe that's how it was supposed to be we might not like it but that's how it was you know but he was working hard 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 very hard and i don't know we don't know how the illness came about really but he got killed by around october of 1980 by may of 1981 he was gone you know that's how it is why bob marley is so powerful now 30 odd years after that is unexplainable in certain ways, but I will try and give you my impression of why I think. It's because of the lyrics that he wrote. They were so true and relevant. The truth knows no boundaries. Truth is eternal. People of all generations will be able to identify with it. So the musician meets all manner of people worldwide to the four corners of the earth. Countries that you never heard about, but man is powerful. So the redemption songs free the people. That is what keeps it living and going on and on and on. He was also a spiritual person, a rasta man. The Almighty Creator sent him and used him as a voice, as an instrument, as a trumpet to sing and tell the people, make them understand themselves and know themselves. Because he was a divine being. He was more than just an ordinary person. That is why he and his music and his philosophy lives on and on and on. That is why he's so powerful. He was the ones who made Jamaicans know that they could achieve these great levels. Because before that, there wasn't much Jamaicans doing anything internationally. We had international stars like our athletes, but when Bob Marley really took the music to a level, it inspired a lot of Jamaicans. Big, big, big figure in Jamaica. 
big inspiration to the Jamaican people. They didn't feel um, inferior again. Bob Marley lifts the people in mind and make them know that to the level that Bob Marley reached, and because he reached that level and then keep humble and keep himself calm, he never acted like he was better than anyone. And even until now, that is where the revolution really started, with the Jamaican people's conquest of the world. Bob Marley lifted and started the revolution. Uh, my name is Ishmael Bear. Uh, I am from Sierra Leone originally. I'm a writer and a UN advocate for children in armed conflict, currently in Central African Republic. Sierra Leone is a small country in West Africa. It's, uh, it's a country that also most people know about it because we had a civil war for a little over 10 years, beginning in the early 1990s. Uh, I grew up in, in the south of the country in, in a very small village, really a small town. Um, and my father worked for a mining company that was there. And, uh, I was fortunate enough, you know, even though my family was poor, to go to school. Uh, the second born in a family of three. And with all of this strong community and peaceful life and, and going to the river to swim, playing football, uh, listening to various kinds of music, all of these things changed um, when the war started in 1991. And I was some conscripted to fight, a force going to fight in the war as a soldier when I was 13 years old. Well, the, the life of a child soldier was very difficult. So first of all, uh, recruitment was difficult because it was not by choice. You either fought or you were killed because the war started because of political corruption, but the war had then caused people like me to lose my entire family. So for me, it was to revenge uh, the death of my family. So that became uh, a reason why I stayed in the fighting, but also because I couldn't leave. And then at some point, I, this became my new family. So the life of my life at the time was just pretty much fighting violence every day in my life. Um, it was just spent cleaning weapons and getting ready to do more fighting. Um, and this is what I came to know for nearly two years. Uh, what made me get out of the army was that I, I didn't really do it on my own. Uh, what had happened in Sierra Leone was that there was such a rampant use of children everywhere, various sides of the fight. So various UN organizations, UNICEF and Greece, went into the country and started setting up rehabilitation centers and going to create contact with some of the commanders and then to talk to them, to negotiate with them, to remove some of these young people from fighting. So I was one of those people who was disarmed very early on. Um, I actually didn't want to go. I was very upset because I didn't have anything to go to. Well, my, my rehabilitation it was very long um, and it was a difficult one, but one, one of the things that helped me along the way was to find a way to reconnect to when things had been civil and good in my country. And one of those ways was through music. And since I grew up with a lot of Jamaican influence through uh, Bob Marley cassettes that were bought for me with a Walkman, uh, and so I would listen. Uh, and my favorite one became Three Little Birds because uh, in the song I found this promise um, I should wake up every day even though things were difficult or something would happen the next day. You know, and then I, I listened to various things, um, Running Away became another one, you know, Dupi Conqueror, and a bunch of other things. I'm Hurting Inside became one that I listened to more when I was really down a little bit. So I was just listening to a lot of different things. And whenever I did, it connected me to a time period when things were peaceful, when I was just a little boy uh, with a lot of rusting down around, you know, and just, you know, both Mali music blaring from big speakers all the time in my, in my community. So this, this was very good for me. Well, I was at a rehabilitation center for about eight months. When I left that center, I pretty much started to change slowly. 
and I started living in normal Australian society in the capital city, Freetown. I did not really know what my life would turn out to be. You know, I started school a little bit. I couldn't really focus very much. Um, but eventually I had an opportunity to go to the United States to speak at the United Nations about my experience. And it was there that I met a woman who later adopted me in the United States. And while I was there, I went to school again. I went to university and all of it. And then I decided to write a book about my experiences because I really wanted people to understand how a child goes through a war, but then how they recover and how it is possible, even though it's difficult and it's a very long-term process. So when this book came out, it became very big, more than I had expected. And I think because of that, I gained whatever fame it is that I gained now. And my work that I'd already been doing with the United Nations just became uh, even more stronger uh, in that area. So, And I've always loved writing, so I continue writing. In short, this is how my life changed around. I've never imagined that this was possible. But reggae music has always been very strong. And uh, my connection to that world that was peaceful was through uh, Bob Marley. Today's show was an epic by our standards, but I hope you enjoyed it all the same. The audio at the end was IX football fans singing at half-time in Manchester of this year at Old Trafford against Manchester United. If one piece of audio can sum up what I'm trying to demonstrate with this project, it's this bit of chanting which demonstrates the global appeal of Jamaican culture. Dutch football fans in England singing in Manchester on a wet March night, a song created some 40 plus years ago by a Jamaican.